to you by Sean Bloomgren and Andrew Penny from Central Iowa. On our show, we're going to discuss all things agronomy, high yield management, give you real-time updates from the field, and talk to industry professionals as we bring you relevant and timely information on current agronomic practices. Welcome, uh, Andrew. How are you today? Good. Doing really good today, Sean. How are you? I'm excellent. Thanks for asking. Uh, so excited to be back. Um, it's kind of neat. I've actually lost track. I think this is our sixth or seventh episode now, so yeah. we're cruising yeah. right along. <laughs> um, and we're going to continue with our uh, series of guests. So uh, go ahead and introduce our guest, Andrew. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, be talking about a, a very popular uh, and, and highly discussed topic this time of year uh, in phantom yield loss. And uh, we have uh, an industry expert uh, from Iowa State, Dr. Mark Lichton. Mark, how are you doing? Pretty good today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we appreciate you being here, Mark. Um, we like to start our show kind of with a similar process. So give us kind of a background on who you are, where you're from, and your current role. Yeah, so um, as, as you've already stated, I, I'm Mark Licht. Um, I actually grew up in Iowa, up a little bit to the northwest of Fort Dodge in a small town of Clare. Uh, did did my degree work in Ames and then uh, ended up uh, as an extension field agronomist out in western Iowa for a number of years before uh, I had the brilliant idea that a PhD would be good. <laughs> um, and then slowly moved my way back to central Iowa and, and now I'm a, an associate professor and uh, extension cropping system specialist. Well, we appreciate you joining us today. We have had our, our show has kind of been dictated by our listeners. So as, as they ask either Andrew and I questions about, you know, topics they're seeing in the field, we like to um, kind of bring those up. But before we get into phantom yield loss, we've asked each one of our guests to answer the question, what are you the most excited about in agriculture right now? Oh, right now there's, there's just so much going on um, with, technology in general, but, you know, as, as we think in, and we move forward with, I'll call it the regenerative ag movement, right, where we're trying to make sure that we're producing, you know, high quality crops, but we're also trying to do it with an environmental slant, you know, for soil health or, you know, the carbon capture, those types of things. So, you know, those two things just really excite me with how, how we can do production, you know, different than maybe we've done it in the past. I love that answer. Um, I recently got to attend the Food Collective and, and meet with um, some leaders from, from food and agriculture production. And uh, you might have just accidentally got yourself a, uh, <laughs> a second version of our podcast uh, sometime in the near future because I'd love to pick your brain on that more. But we're going to skip or we're going to stick with the script. So, Andrew, go ahead and introduce our topic. Um, talk to us a little bit about um, kind of the concept of phantom yield loss and just really what are we going to discuss today? Yeah, so phantom yield loss is um, a, a term that, that kind of gets discussed a lot with growers and, and may be used as, as maybe one of the reasons behind uh, some of the, the potential yield losses that we see in, in corn as, as we let, you know, the, the corn sit out there and dry in the field. You know, going, going from 25 to 15%, there, there's... Uh, there, there's thought that maybe the respiration rates uh, within a corn kernel can decrease the dry matter accumulation in, in that seed and, and therefore, you know, decrease yields uh, as, as that seed uh, is sitting out there in the field to dry. 
And so I, I figured before we, we talk to Mark about his research and, and maybe go into, you know, uh, into that whole conversation about uh, what, what, what is phantom yield loss, how, how it potentially impacts uh, growers' yields and, and some of the research that we've seen, I figure I'd get a little bit nerdy and give a little bit of background on, on respiration and, and maybe uh, corn seed development just so that we have a good, a good scientific baseline um, b- before we can start talking about, about phantom yield loss. So I think one of the, the more important things that I like to discuss is that you know, a, corn, a corn kernel is, is an orthodox seed. And so, if, if you think about uh, you know seeds, trees, anything that produces, and, and then you know any, any sort of seed, and then uh, and a comp- you know a, a plant grows from that seed, we have recalcitrant seeds and orthodox seeds. And orthodox seeds essentially go through a a, a process of, of desiccation tolerance. And, and you know, as as our grain dries down in the field, that 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 kernel is preparing itself to dry down to specific moistures, and then still be able to germinate. Um, under ideal conditions, you know, which for us is at planting. And so, um, you know, d- discussing respiration, I, I think, is, is another thing that, that oftentimes, you know, whether it's fung- fungicides or in this case, um, you know, respiration within a corn kernel, I, I think respiration in general gets a, a negative view. And I, I think it's, it's good to discuss that as well. You know, overall, I mean, respiration is a, is a good thing. You know, there are times where we talk about uh, photosynthesis and, and then the, the higher temperatures associated with higher respiration rates. Um, but, but I, I mean, in the, in the end, um, respiration is basically the process where, where we're taking um, the glucose and the sugar that we produce through photosynthesis and, and making use, usable energy in the form of ATP that the plant can use. So, um, uh, again, respiration is a process that all, all living cells go through, and, and it's a good thing. But there are times, you know, especially when we start talking storage in, in grain bins where uh, higher respiration rates can, can, can be a negative thing. So, so, so with that, Mark, um, I, I'd like to open up the floor um, and, and maybe give, give your thoughts and, and maybe a good definition on, on, on phantom yield loss. Because I, I think a lot of people will, will maybe associate phantom yield loss with everything uh, associated with the potential of losing grain in the in the field, you know the sh- weak shanks and losing ears, stock quality, um, maybe some shatter. But but I think when we're we're, we're really talking phantom yield loss, it, it's more about dry matter loss in the field. Yeah, I think that's that's probably actually the best definition of it. Right? Is you know you've got you've got the kernel dry weights that are have accumulated through grain fill, right? And as that seed you know, uh, basically dries down from 80% or greater, obviously, you know, in that milk to, to um, uh, blister stage, right? You know, it, it's losing moisture, and so you have that dry down process occurring. There's obviously active respiration at that time frame, but we're, we're building dry matter at the same time as we're losing that moisture, right? And so we, we, peak out on our dry matter accumulation uh, about R7.5, so you know, right before essentially physiological maturity. And so, yeah, with this phantom yield loss, what we're really talking about is what, what happens after you peak out on that um, kernel, you know, kernel weight, kernel accumulation, right? Um, and and as, it, as we continue to dry down, uh, you know, the, the main thing that we're seeing is, you know, it's it's the evaporation of water out of that kernel, uh, out of the pericarp. Um, but at times now, we, 
we are seeing maybe some evidence um, in some data sets that would indicate that we're actually losing a little bit of dry matter as well. So, Mark, this stuff, you know, when I think about it, my, you know, my career is, is trying to help farmers maximize yield and ROI on a farm. T talk to me about the, the research or the protocol, the work that you have done throughout your career to understand this. T talk to me about what, what does that research look like and, and what are you trying to measure? Yeah, so um, we, we did a, a fairly in-depth trial a number of years ago. It, we actually took a data planting trial that had, um, well, we had four different days of planting, but we really only used two of them for this data set. And then um, we had um, three different hybrids with it. So what we were trying to figure out is, is you know, not just is dry matter loss occurring, but are there hybrid differences and does the environment influence that? Um, and so we did it at um, a couple different locations as well. And um, I, I say we, right, because um, I, I don't do this alone. I like to work collaboratively. And so I uh, worked with uh, Mark Hanna. He was our extension ag engineer that has done a lot with um, combine, um, you know, grain losses, things like that. And then I worked with uh, Charlie Herberg because his lab was already basically set up to uh, basically dry grain pretty quickly so that way we could get at, you know, you know the dry matter loss questions. And so uh, we went out basically every week and we collected uh, 10 ears from every plot um, and then brought them back, dried them down. And, and so we had wet weights and dry weights of them um, and we were getting them dried down, uh, you know, within about a 12 hour time period. Okay. Um, and, and so that's kind of the, the, the process to really look at this. Um, you know, again, we were trying to pull away from, you know, are we having eardrop? Are we having header loss? You know, some of those things. Um, I think that those are definitely areas that we're losing grain and, and grain weight, um, but that didn't necessarily uh, help us if we we're, you know, combine harvesting um, because then, then we're, we have other losses that we can't, you know, so to speak, account for fully. Sure. Yep. When we think about environmental impact on dry down, you know, we're sitting here, I think today's September 27th or September 28th, something like that. Harvest is just kind of beginning. You know, we're probably three and a half weeks behind where we've been the last couple of years. Uh, obviously, it's a lot cooler at night. The, the highs aren't as high during the day. We've got a lot of pretty wet corn. Um, to talk about row crop farmers today in in Iowa and Illinois where harvest is is maybe lagging behind. How do we think about environmental conditions and how those impact this phantom yield loss? Yeah, so um, just from a, a green dry down standpoint, um, some work that was associated with this phantom yield loss stuff, um, basically we were finding that um, the first, oh, uh, excuse me, first 10% of dry down. So, you, you know, you go from physiological maturity down to 25 or even 20% moisture. Um, that's going to happen regardless of environmental conditions. They're not really driving that. Um, definitely once you get below 20%, um, you want uh, high temperatures with low humidity. Um, those are the, the two main drivers. Obviously, uh, you get some good wind um, that, that just mixes, you know, the atmosphere um, gives you a little bit more drying capacity as well. Um, always have to be hesitant when you mention wind uh, at harvest time, right? Um, 
because that can be problematic. Yeah, I, don't, be problematic I don't think it, I don't right? think anybody in agriculture <laughs> loves wind, <laughs> especially not after the last couple of years. And, and and so so we're all on the same yeah. page, you know. When we talk physiological maturity in, in a corn kernel with with current hybrids, and nowadays from from what I've seen with some of the research I've done, uh, you know, usually physiologic maturity is around thirty five percent. And then, and then you know, which is maximum kernel weight, and the, and then typically you'll you'll see black layer, uh, you know, a few days to a week after that, depending on on weather, you know, temperature and, and wind and all that, and, and that usually occurs anywhere from thirty two percent, you know, give or take. Is that kind of what you've seen too, Mark? Yeah, that's exactly right. There there are some differences um, between hybrids. Um, yep. I, I've seen actually a hybrid that was still accumulating grain uh, weight or kernel dry matter uh, at 30%, which told me it wasn't at physiological maturity there, right? Yeah. Um, but most of the time, you're right. You're right on. 35% is physiological maturity or maximum grain weight. Um, and then black layer, you know, 30 to 32% usually. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, so, so let's talk about... Um, respiration in a corn kernel mark um you know that that's that's at the heart of this conversation with um phantom yield loss what what do we know about um you know obviously the, the biggest factors when we're talking in any kind of in any plant cell um you know corn kernel in, including you know the the temperature and moisture are going to have the biggest impact on especially temperature obviously going to have the biggest impact on, on respiration rates what what do we know about corn kernels in in their respiration rates as as they reach that thirty five percent moisture at physiologic maturity and then continue to dry down? Yeah, so um, I'm going to actually jump uh, you know a little bit earlier. Um, so there's there's some good data that would show that about fifty percent kernel moisture, so uh, mid like maybe half milk line uh, time frame. Um, our respiration rates, they, I, sorry, they're going to be in, in uh, SI units because that's really all they do them in, um, is about three microliters of um, O2 per minute per gram. Nope. So once we get down to, once we get down to uh, about 25% moisture, it's, it's one microliter of O2 per, per minute per gram. And then the, the next step that we have is, um, basically, 17% is where, you know, the literature stops uh, um, with some of the respiration rates. And that is um, basically 0.92 or 0.93 microliters. And so, um, obviously, as we're going through that dry down, the respiration rates are, are quite a bit hot, higher. We hit, essentially, we hit maturity, and our respiration rates are pretty, pretty stable. So, so And then we know that even... Oh, I'm just going to say, even in uh, storage, we know that there is uh, grain respiration going on even after dry down. Um, so, you, you know, we may have grain that's, you know, been dried down to 13%, and you'll still have uh, very, very low respiration rates in, in that situation. And and I think that's, that's uh, I'm glad you brought that up, because I, I think that's one of... Um often the maybe maybe one of the topics and in, in just focal points you know you start hearing some of these numbers that have been thrown out you know i've heard uh 0.9 percent dry matter loss per point of moisture 
Um, I, I've heard some, I think it was out of Purdue, and, and that just seems really high to me because you think of the temperatures that we have here in, in the Corn Belt during dry down, and you think of the moisture percentages, and, and you think about how long that, you know, that, that, we, that we leave it out in the field. To me, to lose that kind of dry matter, it, it, it just seems like respiration rates would have to be really high and, and temperatures would have to be warm to, to you know, uh, facilitate that kind of, uh, you know, those kind of respiration rates. I, I just feel like with our temperatures, I, I just think that's really high and I just can't see respiration rates being high enough or, or us leaving the corn in, in the field that long to, to facilitate that kind of dry matter loss. Yeah, I would agree with you. You know, in, in our data set, you know, that we did, which was uh, definitely much more robust than the original data set that uh, uh, Bob Nielsen published, and then there's a couple others in between there. And, I, and ours would still, from a number of samples perspective, it's still, um, you know, probably the most robust in that sense. You know, we, we did not show it um, across our, uh, you know, the site years that we had and the number of hybrids that we had. Um, now, there there's always some variability in, in this research data. And, and I think, you know, kind of the question is, is if we're not able to detect it, it's probably so low that it gets one caught in that variation, but it's just so minimal that we're not going to see these reports of, you know, 20 or 30 bushels, you know, loss, you know, due to that, the phantom, you know, effect. Yep. Yep. So just to put in perspective there, and, and so our, our, our listeners have an idea of, of the kind of research that's been gone, that, that has been done, and, and there, there's been probably five or six major studies at, at universities that I've, I've found as, as I've been researching this topic. So in 1976, Iowa State did, did a little research on this and, and found no phantom yield loss. Uh, 1984, the University of Illinois did some research looking at this. Um, they found no loss due to, you know, no dry matter accumulation loss or no dry matter loss. Um, in 1991 through 94, Purdue did some, and, and they did find a 0.9% dry weight loss per point of moisture. Then in, in 95 through 97, uh, the University of Nebraska did some research. Um, there was no loss there. And then we had the Ohio State. Uh, and, and then again, you, uh, Mark, in, in, at Iowa State uh, did, did some more research, and, and both those um, found no loss. So, so I think that gives a, a good, you know, when we're talking about respiration rates and dry matter loss, I, I think that gives uh, listeners maybe a good feel for some of the in-depth research that has been done in, in, the, in the results. Yeah, and I guess I would, ask, I would ask Mark kind of, so help me understand today as we're making you know, row crop harvest decisions. We've got a lot of corn sitting in the, I mean, there's a lot that's, you know, still 25 to 30%. We're, we're just reaching maturity on some. Let's frame this up into a commercial corn conversation. How, how do we think about the most beneficial moisture to combine at? I've heard multiple people over the last couple of weeks talk about how expensive it is going to be to take grain down 5%, uh, you know, from 20 to 15 or 25 to 20 or, you know, those types of things. Help me kind of think through commercial corn harvest this fall. Yeah. So uh, the, the first thing we should state is I'm a very poor economist, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, so, so the first thing that triggers in my mind is, we have to have it out of the field by the time it's at 15% moisture. Yep. And so if you are covering 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 acres, 
you need to be starting, you know, in the, I'll say the low to mid 20s. If you're harvesting, you know, 50 to 100 acres, you can wait for it to be down at, you know, 16, 17, you know, percent, you know, type thing, right? So I think farm operation scale is a is a big point there um, that, that has to be considered. And then, you know, part of it comes down to, you know, where are you drying it? You know, if you're if you're drying it on your own operation, you know, your your drying costs are going to be lower. So you, you can afford to, you know, to kind of get at it a little bit earlier uh, than if it's, uh, going to the you know the elevator or somewhere else, right? So I think that all has to be factored in. The other thing that definitely has to be factored in is we we know the longer it stays out in the field, the more eardrop we're going to have, the more um, ear shatter we're going to have on the combine head, and especially if we get into some um, some lighter weight kernels, those will get blown right out the back, right? And so we we have to make sure that we're managing that aspect of it because the, the longer it stays in the field, the drier it gets, the more those go up. Um, and then also just the higher risk of, of stock lodging. And, and this year that could be a real issue. You know, stock integrity is typically not a great thing when we get into stressful environments. Yeah, I've been, uh, Andrew and I have been out quite a bit over the last couple weeks scouting and then obviously getting into combines you know and the variability is is kind of what you'd expect there's some really beautiful corn in the field and then and then there's some fields that uh certainly there needs to be a heavy emphasis to get out quickly as i'm listening to you talk about that obviously you know there's economics on every farm and there's there's considerations to equipment and acres and all that kind of stuff do you have any data to suggest the optimum moisture if we if we were to if we were to take um economics out of it in terms of you know lp price cost of drying that sort of thing if we were just to say the most efficient grain capture moisture is there data that could point us to kind of that window that says a certain moisture is best um well so i think that's some of that comes into the you know i'll call it the harvest loss work that mark Hanna did um and i think a lot of that work would suggest getting it harvested before it's uh, 17, 18% moisture. Um, again, just as a way of making sure, you know, that we don't have the eardrop, the header loss, you know, and so on. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really good. Um, we kind of jumped around a little bit, Mark, I guess, whether it has to do with commercial row crop harvest this fall or the idea of phantom loss, is there anything you want to add? You, you know, I, I don't know that we need to get too nitpicky on whether it's, you know, phantom yield loss or whether it's, you know, kernel loss, you know, through the combine somehow. You know, I think the key is is that we're trying to to be very efficient with how we harvest and, and capturing as much as we possibly can, right? And so from that perspective, you know, the harvesting time frame of, I'll say, you know, 22 or 23% down to 17% is probably a good range for most people. Yeah. Well, I think you bring up some more good points, too, because I think, you know, the the many years I've been doing this and, you know, going out, either riding in a combine and watching kernels shatter at the head um, or, or going and following a combine, you know, looking for seed that's coming out the back, you know, it, it can be tricky. I mean, it doesn't take much to make a bushel loss per, you know, you look at what is it, two kernels per foot is, is a bushel. Right. 
So it it, do, yep. it it doesn't take much to add up, and and I think with with all the residue we have, especially nowadays, with you know over the the last few years, you know just with yields increasing, we have more residue. I, I think it's it's making making it harder for guys to to maybe go out and and find kernels, whether it's you know shattering at the head or or making it through the combine and getting spit out the back. I think I think that's making it harder for guys to maybe get their settings set, you know, their combine settings set correctly. You know, you look at the, all the adjustments that you can have on, on your rotor, um, your, your concave, um, you know, th- there's just a lot of stuff that can go on. Speed, combine speed, um, the, the moisture of the corn that you're harvesting is going to impact, um, you know, how, how efficient and, and how well you, you capture that grain. So I, I think there's just a lot of moving parts, and I, I think there's, there's even more opportunity for kernels to be lost and, and for, for growers to not even know about it just because, uh, again, whether that's uh, getting buried in residue, maybe it's a, it's a dry kernel that's, that's maybe cracking and, and then getting totally shattered as it goes through the combine. So you don't even have the opportunity to find it, even if it, if it does make it out the back, you know, it's just dust. So, so I think there's just a lot of opportunity for, um, you know, that two to 10 to, you know, depending on the moisture, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity for some serious bushels to be lost as, as grain does sit out there in, in, in dry in the field. And that's above and beyond just shank, shank issues, uh, stock quality issues and, and wind events, right? Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, I think the other part of it is, is the two busiest times of the year when you're planting and when you're harvesting, right? And so just taking that extra time, to, to get out and walk a couple, you know, hundred feet of row, um, to, you know, kick the stock, see if you find any ears, you know, look underneath. Right. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, especially once we get into the full swing of things, uh, time is really short. And, and so, um, I, I would encourage more and more people to do it because I think there is more and more value there. Uh, especially when we look at the way the, the corn prices are right now. Yeah. I was thinking that two to three bushel is a lot of money today. Mm-hmm. Um, help me understand. So, Mark, I heard you kind of describe 17 to 23% as that, that, I guess I'd say, ideal window. Under these conditions, you know, we're, we're topping out at, you know, low 70s, light breeze, really beautiful weather. How long does that window last? I've got a, six, I've got a 6% moisture window. How long does that window last the, uh, under these weather conditions? Yeah, so um, that could be, well, I'm going to guess that it's probably going to be in that 7 to 10 day time frame. Um, now, it, obviously, if we get some nice cool temperatures that continue on, that that's going to expand that out a little bit, right? But, uh, you know, I'm looking at the forecast and I'm thinking, it, you know, it's talking about at least right now, you know, the temperatures are going to come back up a little bit and that's going to just keep, you know, keep this corn drying down. I think today most people are excited to hear that. <laughs> Absolutely, we're, we're pretty anxious to go get this crop, <laughs> and and I guess I guess that'd be my question. So as we kind of as we kind of uh, get ready to wrap the show, what are you seeing and hearing around the state? I, I'm hearing some optimism here in central Iowa. Some really good optimism up in in northeast Iowa. Um, I'll say the western side. You know, there's well. So I've already heard of a couple couple reports, and they're, you know, they're at, you know, one, I'll say 125 to 150, Oof. you know, and this was 
a, you know, an area that was dry last year too. And, and this is lower yielding than they had last year. Mm. Right. Mm. Um, so there, there is some concern about what's going to happen too. um, still a lot of optimism on the soybean side of things. You know, the, we got some of those rains and if they were long enough maturity or planted later, you know, that they were staying green a little bit longer. So, so the soybeans may have actually been able to benefit from those late rains more so than this corn crop did. Yeah. So I guess before we go to Mark, I have a final question regarding uh, respiration rates. And, and, and I think this could potentially benefit some growers that, that plan on storing their seed. So, you know, it's a, it's a little bit different conversation talking about respiration in, in a corn kernel sitting on an ear in, in the field drying down versus, you know, harvesting it, um, maybe putting it, a, drying it or, or putting it right into a bin. What, what do we know about, about dry matter loss in, in corn kernels sitting in a grain bin? So they, they will respire. We know that they do. Um, you know, the, the best is to get it down below 14%, maybe even 13%. Um, you know, that, that's about as low as you're going to be able to get it. Um, you know, and, and they're going to respire. The other issue that we have is, um, that respiration gets, um, kind of lost in, in, I'll call it the, the molds, you know, that can grow the fungal pathogens that can grow while we have it in storage. Yep. Um, and so a lot of times we just call it, you know, a, a collective storage loss, um, because of that, right? So that, that would explain some of the, you know, you often hear growers talking about how many bushels they put into the bin and how many <laughs> bushels they take out of the bin. So, so that would kind of lead and, and maybe give some science to uh, maybe why, why we're seeing that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that could be a little bit of it. But I, again, I think we're probably losing less due to respiration and more due to other things, you know, like the, the storage molds. Um, even, you know, as we transfer, you know, grain, we, we know we're losing some in the process. Yep, yep. We, uh, we wrap our show every week with a segment uh, called Cashing In or Penny. We ask Andrew to basically give us three takeaways, but when we have a guest, we certainly would invite you to chime in. So, Andrew, as we cash in our Penny, give us our three succinct takeaways. I think my takeaways for this show... Um, uh, were one um, when when it comes to phantom yield loss associated with with respiration rates in corn kernels, um, I, I I feel like we we learn those those respiration rates in in the conditions that you know the environmental conditions that we have um, here in Iowa and in much of the Corn Belt are are just not favorable for high enough rates. Uh, nor do we let it sit out there long enough to 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 lose much dry matter in in most situations. Um, I, I think the second takeaway was, you know, to reduce the amount of grain that we could potentially lose in the field. I think I think that you know the, the sweet spots around that 17 to 23 percent uh, harvest moisture, and and then uh, when when we're talking storage, yeah, respiration um, do, does occur in corn kernels as as we store our, our grain. So the ideal moisture, as as Mark just mentioned, you know, try and get that seed if, if you're going to store it for any, any kind of uh, length of time, try and get that down to 13 and 14 percent. Yep. Mark, anything to add? No, I think those are that's a, a really good summary on that. Um, yeah, it's just a matter of being out there and, and paying as much attention, you know, to what's being lost and, and how to do things more efficiently. 
One of the things, and I'm not really supposed to chime in during this part, but I'm going to anyway, when you made your second point, Andrew, about the, um, you know, we're, we're not losing as much to, to phantom loss, but probably the other conditions. I think we've kind of made a call out almost every week that, that scouting and having a harvest plan and really knowing where your crop is is really valuable. I know we spend a lot of time in the field this time of year really evaluating the success of our cropping plan, but also, you know, we need to be evaluating um, the the stock, we need to be evaluating the shank, we yep. need to be evaluating the way the husk is holding the ear. All those things are going to factor into that. Um, what we maybe yeah. have commonly referred to as phantom loss, but really probably isn't. It's probably yeah. true grain loss in the field. So, yep. um, very good point. Mark, really appreciate you joining us today. Help our growers, um, not our growers, help our listeners understand if they want to contact you, um, what's what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? You know, the, the, honestly, the best way is, uh, you know, just email me. Uh, it's L-I-C-H-T-M-A at iastate.edu. I'm really quite good at getting back to people that way. Uh, you can Google search and find uh, my phone number uh, as well. And, and yeah, I get, I get back to people as quickly as I possibly can. Excellent. Well, we will we will put your email in the show notes. Uh, we greatly appreciate uh, the the research that you've done and your willingness to join us on the podcast. Andrew, tell us about next week. You bet. Excited to uh, bring another special guest on. Uh, he's going to be uh, he's a professor from the University of Purdue. So we are going you know with with all the commodity price talk. Um, I, I think we've all had had a discussion about input costs. But I figured it'd be interesting to get an ag economist on to maybe talk about some of the background, you know, where we're, where we're mining some of the stuff, uh, how it's made, and, and then why are we seeing the costs associated with that. So, so we're going to dig deep into uh, uh, ag inputs. Look forward to seeing you guys next week. Thank you. Thank you.